The CPI report does something it hasn't done in more than a year, plus why one-year returns don't really matter over the long term, and inflation does not appear to be curbing travelers' need for a little more legroom on their flight. Your market moment starts now. Hey everybody, this is Matt Walters here with Eli Freeman and John Martfield. How are we doing? Doing great. Good weekend? Good weekend. Yeah, it's been, uh, last night got down in the 50s. That sounds good to me. In August. We had a fight, we roasted hot dogs last night out over the fire because it was like, this is like fall weather almost. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was nice. So we got college football coming up right around the corner. We're actually pretty excited and I'll go ahead and mention it. We've got Coach Hatfield coming in um, later today, actually, to report, record part of a podcast that will be going live next week. So definitely check that out. Having Coach Hatfield on, talking about college football, the upcoming season, mm-hmm. changes in college football since mm-hmm. you know he played and coached. And so we're really excited about having him on as a guest. I think it will be a lot of fun. Um, so check that out next week. So today we're going to talk about – couple things um, with traveling flyers, kind of what's changing there and, and what some things to be aware of, and then just what the market um, has been. So as, as we look back at last week's numbers, we've had a couple uh, rough weeks in the market here over the last few weeks. Last week's numbers, the S&P mm-hmm. was down. NASDAQ was down almost 2%. Um, Dow was up slightly, 0.62%, fourth positive week in the last five for the Dow. So we've seen as we mentioned in the past, we've seen kind of a rotation here, the yep. market <clears throat> broadening a little bit, some of the big tech companies that really make up a substantial part of the both the NASDAQ and the uh, S&P have, haven't been outperforming like they were the first six months of the year over the last month or so. And so mm-hmm. you've seen the Dow kind of play some catch up. So any before we jump into the C- CPI report, any initial thoughts on just kind of the market last week and what we saw? Well, no, I mean, I, I'm the, you know, the laughingly, the pessimist here on the panel. Yeah. And it's just good to be right for one week. Out <laughs> yeah. of, no, I'm kidding. I don't want the market to go down. John's, uh, John's been running around the office like, I told you, I told you, <laughs> this is going to happen. No, uh, I just think that the inflation numbers, I think we got a little too giddy with the inflation going down mm-hmm. and maybe ahead of ourselves. And then, of course, the new numbers are saying, well, maybe that's going to go back up a little bit. So you might have the little reversion back. It went down. Now it might slip back up a little bit. It might be, and I think that's spooking the market that sure. the Fed might raise rates one or two more times. And maybe they were hoping, you know, the market was hoping it wouldn't at mm-hmm. all based on inflation numbers. So I think that's part of the downturn of the market, but it wasn't dramatic. It's yeah, not it wasn't. A, it was like a normal, hey, markets yeah. go up and down. Yeah, It's a good reminder mm-hmm. that exactly. they don't just go straight up. Exactly. Right? They've been going straight up for so long that we get used to that. Yeah. So it, I think it's normal. No yeah. big deal. Yeah, there's not there's not really much to read into what's going on. It's just the normal ups, downs, emotions of the market that's yeah. happening right now. There's nothing that's like big Screaming. headline news that yeah. we need to discuss. It's just we're kind of back into a pretty normal, boring market. Yeah. Right well, now. I, and I like it because, you know, the first half of the year when you've got five to ten companies that are basically making up right. all the market performance – that's not a fun market. It's not a healthy market. It's not either. a healthy market. No. You get in this position where you feel like, okay, well, do you start chasing those returns? Because that's where, that's the only place you can find them. Right. Or, and so I much prefer kind of this healthy, you know, more broad participation. Mm-hmm. You have a bad week, you have a good week. It just seems like a more sustainable kind of um, rhythm right. versus when you look up and you're like, hey, here's 10 companies. They're up last week. They're up this week. They're up mm-hmm. next right. week. You know, you just know that's not going to last forever. So hopefully we're yeah. in maybe getting – 
into a longer term trend here where things feel um, better. I would say one of the last thing, Apple, for example, is was down about 10% mm-hmm. from the high and it happened all in a two week span, which if you're a marketeer, then it might be an opportunity to get Apple. Yeah. I mean, it's given sure. us a 10% discount from a couple of weeks ago. So you can look at it a number of different ways, right? Is it yeah, a sign? Opportunities. Yeah, Yeah. Are we broadening down? Is it a sign the market's going to go into recession, whatever? And you can, these are broad statements, but the one thing that you can get out of it is, hey, Apple's at a 10% discount. Yeah. So, I mean, you can look at it a lot of different ways. Yep, absolutely. So speaking of uh, the CPI report, John mentioned a minute ago, up 3.2% from a year ago, higher than June's 3% year over year, first annual rate increase in more than a year. So this was to your point, John, where we, you know, inflation has been coming down mm-hmm. and then we saw this slight, slight uptick. uptick yeah. um, nothing crazy, but still, I think enough to spook the markets. Despite the increase, numbers were still within forecast due to inflation. Americans are spending 202, um, is it million? Or Do- billion dollars, two hundred two dollars. <laughs> it's neither million or billion. So I was, I thought it was talking about a cumulative number. So Americans are spending two hundred two more per month on everyday goods and services than they did one year ago, and seven hundred nine more per month than two years ago. So Whoa. <laughs> inflation's real. In- um, inflation, you know, it's is, it's yeah. impacted people, right? And mm. it, it's. Hopefully, over that time period, you've been able to, you know, negotiate uh, maybe a little bit higher pay or, you know, your your employers adjusted your salary. Because if if you haven't um, been seen any kind of increase in your pay, that's mm-hmm. really tough to absorb. Yeah, Very tough. It, you don't have to go far to find the places that inflation is starting to hit. I think this most recent number, a lot of that came from housing has continued to rise. Rent rates are still rising. Um, monthly mortgage mortgages are rising for people who are purchasing new homes so it's just it's very expensive to live and it's it's not it is slowing down but it's it's not gonna we're not gonna see a reprieve from prices prices aren't gonna go down they're just gonna rise at a slower rise at a slower clip for sure yeah and there's yeah across the board i absolutely agree with that i mean you're not gonna have people that decrease prices there are certain things where prices will you know legitimately come down Mm -hmm. but uh for the most part you know prices stay where they're at mm-hmm. and increase either at high rates or lower and rates. And it's, yeah, it's incredibly down. important from a government level that prices rise at a steady rate. If, if prices rise at a steady rate, then businesses can make good decisions yeah. moving forward knowing where prices will probably be in the future. So it's encouraging to see hovering around the 3% mark. You have a small uptick, but not a drastic tick one way or another. It's, those are good numbers. To yeah, see. you need some something that's relatively predictable. It's if you get these outsized moves that right. can be hard <clears throat> to deal with, either on the consumer level or the business side of things, that can make things mm-hmm. really tight. And yeah, and, and we've talked about this multiple times over the last year, two years of you know, is the Fed's inflation target correct? Like, Realist- should it be realistic? Too, is yeah. it realistic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> if we get here in a longer term trend and we hover around 3% over the long term, it'll be really interesting to see what they say if they adjust that target or if they just like dig in and say, no, mm-hmm. we're sticking to the two. Yeah, I saw a chart this week that was, I think it was the 112-year average of inflation, and it was right at that 3.2 yeah. mark. So so it, we're there, and I think it's a reasonable range to say, like, do we hover in between 25 to 3.5% for a while, just because that is the longer term trend. Mm-hmm. If we do that, I'm, I'm under the assumption or kind of the belief that like 
they have to adjust. I think they have to say like, okay, that was our target in a different environment based on these factors we're adjusting and we're not going to continue trying to do things and pull it down from three. I hope you're right. And I, and I'm, I think they have every fed meeting that I've listened to, which is just riveting. If you ever want to fall asleep, (laughs) watch a fed meeting, but I think they have been very strict on this 2% number. And a lot of people think like we think that it, they should, you know, maybe be less, it should be two and a half, three percent somewhere around there, but they have been fairly strict on wanting to get down to two percent at all costs, which means going to recession, whatever doesn't doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little more pessimistic, uh, if you could believe that, that they might continue to even if it hovers around three. But the other thing that I'm again going to sound pessimistic on uh, energy prices. You're going to have um, <clears throat> I think the I think the inflation rate at 3.2%, what I'm worried about is that that number comes in, that it could start sneaking up a little bit. Um, you know, I know we're, we're down. I'm worried more that it's going to go up than I am about the Fed target necessarily changing or not changing. I'm worried about it um, continue to sneak up mm-hmm. here over the next few months where the Fed is then forced to raise the rate or lower the, or raise the rates another quarter point this mm-hmm. next meeting. And then, again, I don't think the market wants that to happen. Yeah. So I mean that's the stuff that I that that I think about on that. I know that mm-hmm. hopefully again, hopefully I'm wrong, uh, but I I get a little worried about inflation as a whole not being done yet. Mm-hmm. I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so transitioning to the next conversation, this one is good. Eli did some um, research on this for us and pulled up a good chart that we'll throw up on the screen. But thirty year returns versus one year returns. So Eli, I think the point of this was basically saying. 12-month returns don't matter if you're a long-term investor, mm-hmm. right? And that that's the entire point of this chart is if you are a long-term investor, and that could be – that almost doesn't matter what age you are. That could be you're in your 20s. That could be you're in your 60s. Sure. If you are a long-term investor, one-year returns almost don't matter. Yeah. The, the caveat to that is if you're taking distributions from your money, then it starts to matter that you have your asset allocation right. properly aligned. But – if you look at this chart, go to our YouTube channel, pull up our video of how we do the podcast on the video, and look at this chart. The orange bars that are up and down each year, those are the one-year returns. And then the blue bar that basically hovers between 10 and 13% is the 30-year returns. So basically opposite of, of John's pessimism, who cares what the one-year returns are? As long as you're a long-term investor and you keep that mindset of, I will be invested no matter the market cycle, no matter what's happening in the news or the world or the media, you will receive these long-term returns if you stay invested. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, the caveat, the question I ask when somebody's like, Hey, you know, how do you guys manage money or what do you guys do? Or how should I invest? Right. right. It's always, well, what do you need the money for? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you need right. income? Right. Do you right. need, and if <clears> it's to, to Eli's point, I think if, if, the, if it's money that you, you want to grow for you over the long term and you don't need you know, monthly income out of it starting tomorrow, then, you know, the one year returns don't really mm-hmm. matter. And if, if you do need income or you're, you know, then the sequence of return risk and those types of things start to creep in and become right. important. Right. Um, but if, if it's a portfolio that you like, hey, my objective here is growth over the long term, um, then yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> what the next 12 months look like. What matters <clears throat> is that if you are an emotional person, so mm-hmm. I always tell people, 
best way to invest is just put your money away and never open a statement. I mean, obviously yeah. you're not going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're emotionally invested in our, in our portfolios. If you were able to do that, if you were able to just put it away and not mess with it for 10 years, 15 years, of course, you're going to be very happy with market returns. Zero motion. You can handle the 2008 incredibly big time loss. The problem is going through 2008 with my clients, emotionally, people cannot handle. Yeah. They, they get their statements and they believe, you know, I remember, and I'll be brief on this, but the market was down about 6,400 on the Dow on March 7th of 2009. And I remember that day because it was a day I got an email from two different market analysts um, that told me that it's the time to get your, your clients back into the market, that we had hit the bottom. And it happened to be two different, very, very good analysts on Wall Street that I got that email from. And at that moment, when I told my clients that, and even myself, when I was thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to start putting people back in the market, it didn't feel right. I mean, you're like, oh, well, the market's yeah. continually going down. We're going to catch you listen a falling to the news, back that's like going to yeah. continue to fall. If you listen to the news, you'd think that the market's going to zero, which we know that is not the, the case, obviously. The markets did turn around quite nicely. And think about 6,400 on the Dow in March of 2009. Fast forward 14 years later, we're at 35,000 on the Dow. A lot of people who lost in the market were the ones who took their money out in 08, yeah. And because they were panicking and never, never went back, back in. in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. that's who lost. Yeah, I mean, we tell people that's all the time, <clears throat> working with an advisor or having an investor part, that buddy that you, the, the value that they're going to bring is on the psychological, emotional exactly. part. It's not what stock do I buy? I mean, there's there's parts of that. I'm not saying there's not value there. Right. But oftentimes you, you get more value from having someone that holds you accountable to what you've said your goals are yeah. and what mm -hmm. you're trying to accomplish and helping you stay the course. Um, and, and there's more value from that than what you're actually invested in. And 100%. so there's a, there's a ton of value to that. And I think going back to Eli's chart, you know, it, it proves the point that if you just stay the course, you set your goals, you set your parameters of what right. you're trying to accomplish, mm -hmm. and then you just review it regularly with an advisor or your spouse or whoever your kind of accountability your partner therapist, is. Your therapist, yeah. advisor slash therapist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, then stay the course and adjust, exactly. make minor adjustments, but don't do anything too extreme. Exactly. And also on Eli's chart, which I love, and I think this is kind of cool, but when you decide what type of risk tolerance you are, right, what you're able to handle, mm -hmm. I think that you should show this chart to every single new client, right, that's investing and say, hey, could you handle yeah. that? Could you wake up one day and say, in a year's time, I lost 45% of my money, mm -hmm. and would you be okay with that? And if the answer is, heck no, I could not handle that, even though I know the end result is better if I did, then you adjust your your, your sure. portfolio, and you won't take the brunt of that. Like, right. just because the market did that, mm -hmm. our clients didn't do that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, sure. if we have a 45% loss in the next 12 months, mm -hmm. our clients aren't going to take that because we're not going to put them 100% aggressive in the market. So it's not, even though this chart tells us, you know, you, you, you're, it's based on your risk tolerance, it's based on emo not letting emotion control your, your decisions. Yeah. And let us be your therapist. Yeah. We're yeah. here for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really good conversation. And I think one that we 
I mean, you could you could take that in many different directions. I'm sure we'll circle back to it, but I I'll, love that chart. I'll have more charts in the future. Yeah, I'm I love sure the charts. Will. It does make a lot of sense. So hard pivot to bougie flyers. Dramatic <laughs> increase in bougie flyers. Sorry, I have to laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that consumers didn't seem to be trying to save on this year was airline seating. According to CNBC, many airlines are investing in additional premium seating due to increased demand. So I actually watched this video on CNBC um, about this, and it was it was actually really interesting. So Delta says 9% of its seats sold in 2009 were premium. By 2019, that number soared to 28%. They expect premium seats to account for 30% of next um, sales next year. American Airlines says its first quarter premium seat revenue was up 20%. Um, Americans plan to increase premium seating on long-haul craft by over 45%. Uh, by 2026. So according to a recent study, since we all hate airlines, (laughs) (laughs) by passenger advocacy group, the average legroom on flights has increased from 35 to 31 inches over the last 30 years with low cost carriers typically at 29 to 30. Um, So that's decreased from 35 to 31 inches Mm -hmm. over the last 30 years. So guys, we won't spend too long on this, but the moral of the story is, you know, people have been traveling traveling there's been a traveling boom coming out of covid and obviously people are willing to pay for comfort leg rooms and pay a premium price for that i was willing to do that on a recent flight overseas until i saw the price (laughs) (laughs) then i quit and stayed back in those smaller seats it's like i'll I'll keep the 29 to 30 yeah we we survived uh but it it is very expensive to upgrade your seat it it is very expensive but some of these if you watch this video on cnbc some of these first class options that they're providing people uh-huh. and these full lay down options oh, united yeah. emirates has this option where um you have access to a shower and a, i mean it's wow. like it's a full like mm. luxury kind of experience from a flight for uh, for uh, those of us that are used to you know sitting right. in the middle seat like this right i mean the idea that oh, i could fly to europe and lay down on a bed and no then take doubt. a shower before mm-hmm. we land no doubt i mean it would be very nice yeah, if i could do sweet. that i would go back and forth like just constantly yeah but what what would you expect? I mean, cash has been readily available, right, right? Right. And so, does this trend continue? Airlines are obviously making a big investment in in the ex- trend continuing. Yeah, in the trend continuing. But you know, three years from now, will people be able to afford to continue? Say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll spend an extra twelve hundred bucks on that flight, right? Just and to it- have the you know like room and all that. You know, businesses will continue to do that, right? Business flight, uh, yeah. you know, and then and then you'll still have the people that do that. But yeah, you're right. As as it gets tighter, if the economy gets tighter, whatever, yeah, those will go down. But the more seats they make, the better chance us three, four years from now can afford one because the price will go down. Yeah. So I'm rooting for them to continue to add more, you know, first class stuff. Yeah. Eventually we could all Eli be first Halford, class. Are you Eli, you first class. <laughs> If by first class you mean running to my next connection, <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do have uh, we have some good stories of running to flights for sure. Um, last, I will I will not I will not not wear my running shoes when you get when I fly. That's yeah. a, that's a rule no, I now have. So frightening flight. So this was a this was a pretty scary experience here for passengers on American Airlines flight to Florida. They found themselves on the ground a lot quicker than expected after the plane dropped almost 20,000 feet in 11 minutes. I think there was like a 15,000-foot drop in a matter of like three minutes or yes. something crazy. Yes. So the crew reported possible pressurization issue mid-flight, prompting the pilot to immediately descend. One passenger describes the chaos um, in this video. Take a quick listen. All of a sudden, like my ears 
just started to really, really hurt. And the next thing you know, there's this loud bang and all the masks fall. And there was this smell, this like burning smell. And that's what really started to freak me. And I think some other people in the back out. The pilot deadhead across the aisle explained that the burning smell was normal and the result of a chemical reaction to form oxygen. Ultimately, the plane landed safely and there was no reported issues. So guys, no nothing really to talk about here other than that's pretty just wild. Freaky. Yeah, just a scary flight. I haven't mm. seen the vi- I haven't seen a video or anything, but did the air- oxygen mask like drop? Oh, or yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. That's Yeah, that would if, creep you out <laughs> just in general. I would just pass out, I think. <laughs> I mean, as soon as I saw the oxygen masks, I would just have an utter <laughs> panic attack. And you're, I'd have my three-year-old trying to put a yeah, oxygen you're, you're, mask on. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it would be helping you before helping yeah. yourself. Yeah, that would be that would be scary. It's anytime you fly and you feel a little bit, you know, you're always like uh, tightening your oh, yeah. buckle a little bit. Oh yeah, like I'm oh, not good. So I'm curious though, is the seat buckle really going to help you in a plane crash? You know, I always wondered that. Yeah, like, let's anyway, not I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, no doubt, airplane no doubt. Buckles, but. <laughs> But, well, really good conversation, as always. Enjoy the enjoy the conversation today. We're going to end with a thought of the day. This one is from Thomas Edison. Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. I love that. That is pretty fantastic. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> and like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, be sure to check out next week when we have Coach Hatfield on the podcast. Going to be a great conversation with him. We really look forward to that. So we appreciate you, you guys joining the podcast. Look forward to you joining us next time on The Market Moment. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's value. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.